This is Lawyer to Lawyer with J. Craig Williams and Robert Ambrogi, two of the top web bloggers in the legal profession. And yes, they are attorneys, one from California and one from Massachusetts, squaring off on legal news and legal observations. Lawyer to Lawyer is sponsored by Law.com, right here on the Legal Talk Network. We're glad you could listen today to Lawyer to Lawyer on the Legal Talk Network. This is Bob Ambrogi from Massachusetts. And this is Craig Williams from Southern California. I write a legal blog called May It Please the Court. Bob, I know you write one. I write a blog called Law Sites, also a blog called Media Law, and I contribute to Legal Blog Watch on Law.com. Well, the subprime mortgage mess, uh, foreclosures, housing downturn, the real estate world is stagnant. The United States is now involved in a huge housing crisis, leading many to take advantage and prey on vulnerable homeowners. Uh, Federal Reserve Chairman Ben Bernanke just yesterday acknowledged before Congress uh, in his most pessimistic and blunt assessment to date that a recession is possible but he predicted a rebound by the end of the year. Well, as part of that crisis, mortgage fraud is one product of the fall of the housing market where the intent is to materially represent information on a mortgage loan application in order to obtain the loan. Uh, In one of the most highly publicized cases uh, of mortgage fraud, uh, recently uh, dubbed Operation Home Record 19, people were indicted on mortgage fraud-related offenses uh, out of California. The leader of this nationwide scam, Charles Head, targeted homeowners in dire financial straits, fraudulently obtaining titles to over 100 homes and uh, allegedly stealing millions of dollars through fraudulently obtained loans and mortgages. As a matter of fact, I believe uh, Mr. Head was due to appear in court just today. Well, as a consequence, Bob, we're going to be talking to the experts about the Operation Home Record case, the rise in mortgage fraud, and how to protect yourself from from that type of fraud and rise above the present real estate crisis. So joining us uh, today to talk about this, first is Richard Hagar uh, out of uh, Washington State. Richard is a real estate agent, a real estate appraiser, uh, and uh, someone who presents a number of training sessions for lawyers, real estate agents, uh, law enforcement professionals, and many others on topics including mortgage fraud. Uh, he is a, uh, a well-known speaker, educator, and, as I say, a creator of a number of real estate classes. Uh, welcome to the show, Richard Hager. Thank you. And, Bob, our next guest is attorney Melissa Hulsman, and uh, she's got her own practice in Seattle. Her practice is focused on predatory lending, consumer and fraud litigation, bankruptcy, among other things. Ms. Hulsman is also an associate member of the Association of Certified Fraud Examiners and a member of the National Association of Consumer Advocates. Welcome to the show, Melissa. Good morning, or afternoon. Well, it depends on what side of the country you're on. Exactly. But as we're doing that, let's talk about uh, the status of the real estate industry. And it, Bob, since you're a uh, an appraiser, is it really as bad as it looks? Um, it's... It is. I mean, you know, Richard Hager here, my background is obviously appraising and I'm there. But part of this is I need to see what the economy is doing for a variety of clients. And it, when we say how bad is the industry, it actually depends upon where you are in the United States. Uh, the good news is the states of Washington and Oregon, they've done a very good job of heading off a lot of the fraudulent issues. <laughs> Not all of them, but a lot of them. And as a result, their property values in most areas are holding reasonably steady. But when you go down into the southern tier of the United States, everything from San Francisco over to Atlanta and including Florida, 
you are seeing in many, many cities uh, just short of an economic wipeout of their real estate markets. We are seeing in some instances, some areas, uh, 30, 40, 50% drop in real values of their real estate. We are seeing incredibly high, record high foreclosure rates. In uh, Modesto, for instance, one home in 25 is now in foreclosure. And that figure is going to grow until about September, October of this year. So we're not at the bottom of the market. In some areas, there's going to be incredible pain. In others, it's just going to hurt a lot. Melissa, we had the uh, this this uh, federal indictment out of out of Sacramento recently. Uh, in, in the case we were just talking about, I know there have been other federal indictments just in the last couple of weeks in other states in, involving mortgage fraud. Uh, to, to what extent is is mortgage fraud uh, an element in, in bringing about the the crisis that we're finding ourselves in right now? Well, it plays a huge part, but the the problem with using a phrase like that is that it encompasses a whole different, um, a lot of different ways in which uh, the fraud was committed. You had um, what's been called mortgage fraud when you had a bunch of brokers and or loan officers falsifying a borrower's documents so that it um, looked like the borrowers were committing the fraud, but in fact it was the mortgage brokers and the loan officers who were falsifying the documentation so that borrowers um, could obtain loans that these brokers and loan officers knew could not um, ever be repaid and they didn't care because of the current structure of the market. They just got their fees and and the loan was gone. And so there was really very little fallback until recently when there was a pushback on making the loans. You did have some borrowers who were also engaged in defrauding lenders. Um, most of those, in, in my experience, were um, – you did have individual homeowners who were doing that, but most of the time it was – um, scammers engaged in property flipping and larger um, patterns of fraud in order to obtain um, multiple loans. Um, and then you have the other piece of this, which is um, what I'm finding a huge percentage of my caseload at the moment dedicated to, which are what are commonly called foreclosure rescue scams, which are once people have already been put into a horrific loan to begin with, then they face foreclosure, and then these are the scammers who come along and essentially make the situation worse by taking the homeowner's home and, and all their equity and or um, in situations where there is no equity because the property values have fallen, um, and getting the borrower to essentially assist them in defrauding lenders by making false representations regarding value and acquiring the home and, and making money in that way. So um, it's a, a large and complex um, series of events and activities that are leading to this current situation. At the, at the core of it, though, I would say the, the reason why we're in this situation is because of the structures regarding the making of these loans and the manner in which they were set up to be sliced and diced by Wall Street um, so that you had virtually nobody in the whole chain of making these loans, buying and servicing them, who really actually cared all that much about whether or not they were ever going to be repaid because they were all getting their fees along the way. Are you having any luck with uh, any of the litigation that you're involved with? holding the brokers, the loan officers uh, to task for this, or are they declaring bankruptcy and just disappearing as quickly as the loans work? <laughs> well, I mean, I've been practicing in this area of law for um, uh, about six years now, and really this has been the, almost the entire area of my practice, although I was previously doing some bankruptcy work. Um, and, you know, I've, I've managed to survive. It's certainly not um, an area of law where I think anybody's going to get rich, except for potentially some class action lawyers, but um, but certainly I've been successful enough to maintain a practice. Um, some cases end up better than others. Um, but lately I've had a few borrowers um, 
tell me that they're broke and try and get me to settle cheap um, because of that. But so far, you know, knock wood, I haven't had too many problems in that area. Now, I have heard from colleagues in other parts of the country where that's becoming more prevalent, and certainly I have had some problems recently with some, the failure of some mortgage, large mortgage lenders like New Century uh, going into bankruptcy in March of 2007, and that has put a serious crimp in a few of my cases. But overall, um, my practice is still going along okay. Richard, let me ask you, I, I read uh, on your website a, a statement, uh, I, I attribute this to you, I guess, that, that 80% of, of agents uh, may have participated in a fraud, real estate agents may have participated in a fraudulent transaction within the past year. Then you go on to say the problem is many didn't know it. What, what's the message that you're giving uh, in your talks and in your lectures on this topic about this issue? Well, a lot of agents uh, and mortgage brokers and agents, anybody that was in the system, shall we say, and they, they were interested in how do I get more loans, how do I get more sales. They would take classes in you know, marketing and PowerPoint and everything else, but few of them would take a class in the law. Few of them would take a class in the legal implications. And as a result, we've had this huge wave of new agents and mortgage brokers come into this business over the last 10 years, probably a doubling of the, uh, the total numbers, and they're simply untrained. And as a result, quite often, out of ignorance, they create all sort of bogus real estate contracts, purchase agreements, mortgage brokers not understanding what's right or wrong, pass those along. And then when the appraiser, who is one of the ultimate auditors of these transactions, tries to come up with the correct value of, of a house, then the mortgage broker yells and screams at them if the appraiser doesn't make the value that they want to make the deal. So a lot of this starts off with ignorance. And kind of one of my goals is if I can get everybody educated to a certain point, the good people will dial down and not do some of these stupid things. And then who will remain are the real true crooks who don't care whether they're educated or not. They just want to make the fast buck. And those people will stand above the crowd, and it will make it easier for the FBI and state's attorney generals to go after these people and get them. So if we can dial everybody down, the bad will appear, and you could shoot them better. Well, I mean, that, I mean, that suggests to some degree, you know, some degree of perhaps negligence as opposed to uh, willfulness in this. Uh, but I have to wonder, you know, understanding that there are lawyers all along the way in this process, uh, uh, to what extent are, are, is the legal profession complicit in, in in some of the, you know, what we might call scams or, or uh, Im- improper practices that are going on in this in the real estate field? Oh, I bump into bad, uh, bad attorneys all the time because when you become an attorney, you tend to specialize a little bit. There are people who are very good at contract law. Some may be good at banking law but they're usually not out and practicing, or there's others that are good at criminal. And a lot of these things involve everything. We'll, we'll find attorneys that say it is absolutely okay to allow cash back or a car to the buyer. So if they're going to buy the house, let's kick back $100,000. Perfectly legal, there's no problem with that. When, in fact, they're not understanding Title 12, Part 365 of a lot of these, it says you cannot do those sorts of things. So some of it is, Bad attorneys not getting their education, they then convey it to real estate offices, and all of a sudden the office is talking to their corporate attorney about criminal law or about banking law, 
And, in fact, they don't understand either of those things, so they've conveyed inaccurate information to the real estate company. I, I would say, again, it's a mix. I definitely have on the foreclosure rescue scams several attorneys that I've sued recently who are actively engaged in these scams. And, in fact, um, you know, so now our defendants in my lawsuit. Um, so they are, you know, I contend at least absolutely complicit because they should, you know, there is no excuse for them. They should know better. I have other attorneys in, because we're talking about, in general, the mortgage fraud mess, other attorneys who were engaged in representing mortgage lending companies and servicers who didn't even understand truly the relationship between the parties, I would have to explain to them they would think their client owned the loan, and I would have to explain to them that their client didn't own the loan, they were only servicing it. They didn't really understand the relationship between the lenders and the investors and all that other stuff. Um, you know, many of them did, but many of them did not. Um, and a lot of them, I think, were unable to come to grips with what their clients were really engaging in. I mean, we have, you know, the findings or the consent decrees entered by household in AmeriQuest that did not admit any liability, but certainly when you have, you know, the attorneys generals of 49 states going after a lending company and, um, because they have so many borrowers making complaints regarding the bad acts of those of their employees, you know, that lends some credibility to the assertions. Now, of course, there weren't any findings made because they settled it, but that, you know, get, should get everybody a lot of pause. And in the state of Washington, we um, got a law passed in 2006 that went into effect on January 1st where loan originators, who are the people who actually make the loans under a mortgage broker's license, are required to be licensed separately because before only the mortgage broker had to be licensed. And basically any old person who wanted to sign up with a mortgage broker to be a loan originator, and as long as they paid the mortgage broker some portion of the fees that they earned, they could. And I don't have the exact statistics in front of me, but a significant portion of those people who then applied for a loan originator license were denied it just on the initial review because they had, they had been convicted of things like identity theft and fraud and all kinds of things like that. And so you have people who were engaged in the process of mortgage brokering loan originating who were identity thieves and not just people who'd been accused of it, people who'd been convicted of it. And so you know, by passing laws like that, we've cleaned it up somewhat. It's not a guarantee of perfection. But, I mean, those kind of things are indicators that there was a lot wrong in the system before that nobody was really paying attention to, and that did involve lawyers. Well, Ben Bernanke is proposing to regulate, let, let, let the SEC regulate every aspect of the financial market. I would presume you would well, agree Well, I mean, with there's that. good and there's bad with that because the problem with the bringing it under the big federal umbrella is – and part of the reason why the system has failed already is because the federal agencies are absolutely incapable of handling the volume that they have to do. So in other words, we see a few mortgage fraud prosecutions, but by number in comparison to the amount of fraud that was going on, they're nothing. They're a drop in the bucket. Trying to get the federal agencies involved in this has been uh, almost an effort in futility. The FBI requires significant um, dollar value losses before they're going to step in and begin an investigation. And you have the federal regulators who were absolutely, completely uninvolved in the process for the last five to ten years, which is why we have the mess we have in. And yet you have the state agencies from whom power has been largely wrested from them by the federal government to the extent that they still had power. They were the ones who were out getting these, you know, bringing these cases against household, against AmeriQuest, bringing the individual cases. And so while I'm, you know, there's some good ideas, there's some parts of Bernanke's ideas that I like, 
wresting more and more power away from the states is a bad, bad thing. And in fact, more power should be given back to the states because the federal agencies, even in spite of his, you know, proposal that he's going to create some agency that's going to do more, you know, investigative stuff, although that suggestion has been very broadly bandied about without any specificity. Um, the fact of the matter is, is unless we create a whole new large investigative agency to do nothing but police, you know, mortgage, which is not going to happen, it's going to be an effort in futility and, in fact, I think will result in more damage to consumers because it's taking the power away from the states who have really been the only ones doing anything about this to a large extent and, and giving it to a federal agency that's done nothing. And the two federal agencies that should have been doing something, the Office of the Comptroller of the Currency and the Office of Thrift Supervision, in my personal opinion and in the opinion of most other consumer lawyers, have done virtually nothing. And so giving them more power even under a combined thing or with more investigative authority, I think it's just a guarantee that more consumers are going to be ripped off because then you're going to have everything wrested away from the states who's been the only one who's been actually doing anything about it. I would absolutely agree with her on this. Um, the states did not, or the, the government did not step in to take on AmeriQuest. The states did. Uh, they didn't come on to take out HFC. The states did. And about the, the states are, they feel the pain at a local level. They see what's happening to their consumers at a local level. And many, many states are very progressive on fighting this, Washington, Oregon, or some of those. And time and time again, the attorney generals of various states are frustrated because they cannot go after some of these banks because they're federally preempted. So I, I, I totally agree with Melissa on this. And in fact, the, um, in the last several years, banks have been very aggressive about going up and acquiring companies that were previously regulated by the state so they can bring them under their umbrella and therefore um, say, well, you know, we have, we, you can only have federal jurisdiction over us, knowing full well that the federal government is not going to do anything. And a really good example of that, you know, again, these are just my opinions, but you have Long Beach Mortgage, which was the precursor to AmeriQuest, and part of it became AmeriQuest, and the other part was purchased by Washington Mutual. So Washington Mutual buys a subprime lender that had a horrific record before they even purchased it. They buy it, therefore it takes away the ability of anybody but the federal regulators to do anything about Long Beach. Therefore, nothing was done about Long Beach. Now, Washington Mutual ceased operating it um, last year, I think late 2006, early 2007. Um, but the point is, so an, an, a company that was engaged in essentially, by all accounts, um, you know, the same kind of activities that AmeriQuest was. And again, you know, nobody has made any specific findings. I'm only going upon what was reported. Um, you know, it gets wrapped under the federal umbrella. And as far as I know, there was never any federal investigation into its practices in spite of multiple lawsuits, multiple complaints. Um, and versus, you know, if you compare that to what happened with AmeriQuest with the states, Again, even though there wasn't any findings that resulted in a consent decree and, you know, an agreement to engage in best practices. Now, of course, immediately after that, you know, virtually AmeriQuest quit writing loans and is, you know, shutting down. But the point is that the states are the ones who did something, not the federal government. Melissa, so what is what is the litigation you're involved in now look like? I mean, I, I assume on one level you're you're working with, with individual uh, consumers to to uh, help them find uh, relief of some kind, but are, are you also approaching this on a on a on a broader scale in some way? Well, um, I personally do not engage in class action litigation. I'm considering a few cases right now, but I don't. There has been some class action activity in this area. Some of it has been successful. Others of it, I am not been pleased with because it has resulted in very little return for. 
um, the borrowers and lots of money for the attorneys. Um, I do think that if you're going to engage in class action litigation in the mortgage lending arena, you need to do it on a state-by-state -state basis because there can be significant implications on settling the case nationwide given the different laws that states have regarding foreclosure and things like that and rights that people might otherwise have under their state law, even if it's a federally regulated entity. Um, but I, as part of my practice regularly, I speak to other lawyers all the time. I've been involved in testifying in front of the legislature, um, of the Washington State Legislature for the last several years on multiple pieces of legislation. We actually just got a few um, good pieces of legislation passed in our states. I, you know, I write to my representatives and try and convince them to do the right thing. We have a piece of legislation that Congress is dealing with literally today um, in some attempts to remedy this, but um, my last reporting was that they had gutted the most important provision in that um, potential legislation, which was the ability to give bankruptcy judges the ability to restructure people's mortgages in a Chapter 13. Um, that right is always available to um, uh, debtor in a Chapter 13 for a second home or a boat or, you know, any kind of thing like that, but yet they're not allowing homeowners who need to restructure their loans, the very place that they raise their families, cannot do so in Chapter 13, and that provision is being gutted right now by Congress. Um, and they're going to go out and tell the American people, hey, we passed this legislation to help you. And the fact of the matter is, is all of this activity is premised upon the very false notion that lenders and their servicers are actively engaging in loss mitigation right now and are doing workout programs with borrowers when, in fact, all evidence that we have to the contrary has been published in the New York Times and the Wall Street Journal in the last few weeks demonstrates that most lenders, not all, but most lenders and most servicers are not actually working with hope homeowners, they are not doing workouts, and people are going to lose their homes. And I hate to be a naysayer, I hate to be a doomsayer, but the fact of the matter is, is as much as Wall Street would like to convince themselves that it's all come tumbled out now and the worst is over, it is not. There, it is going to get worse, even in places like Washington, where Richard and I are, where it's not so bad because our local economy is not so bad. It is going to get worse, and lenders and services are nowhere doing near enough to help borrowers. Well, we need to take a short break. When we return, we'll, we'll bring back our guest to discuss more on mortgage fraud. We'll be right back. We invite you to visit Law.com for timely legal news and in-depth resources. From daily headlines to practice-specific updates, Law.com provides up-to-date information to those working in the legal profession. As part of its coverage, Law.com is proud that J. Craig Williams' blog, May It Please the Court, and Robert Ambrogi's blog, Law sites are part of its blog network. Don't wait any longer. Visit Law.com today and get free subscriptions of our Newswire newsletter with the top legal stories of the day. Or sign up for a free trial subscription to one of our Practice Center sections. If you found us in the podcast library of iTunes, thanks for listening. Check out some of our other shows at LegalTalkNetwork.com and become a member. It's free. Did you know that Legal Talk Network shows are also available as CLE? Visit Law.com's CLE Center at www.clecenter.com. That's clecenter.com to enjoy listening and get CLE credit for your continuing legal education. A video settlement documentary can be the most powerful and persuasive way to bring about a speedy settlement in your client's case. The Boston Media Group has a staff of television professionals with 20 years' experience writing and producing compelling stories just like the ones you've seen on 60 Minutes or Dateline. 
We put a human face on the lawsuit with compelling interviews, dramatizations, and visual presentations of the fact. Think of it as a video opening argument that will compel the attorneys on the other side to settle. Call us for a consult at 800-317-5221. That's 800-317-5221. Or check out our website at bostonmediagroup.com. Welcome back to Lawyer to Lawyer on the Legal Talk Network. This is Bob Ambrogi. And I'm Craig Williams. We're talking to real estate agent, appraiser, and speaker Richard Hager and attorney Melissa Hulsman, both out of Seattle. Well, we were talking before the break about how all of this occurs. What happens afterward? Uh, after there's been mortgage fraud and people have uh, suffered through the situation, we've got credit problems, we've got debt, we've got workout. What other kinds of problems are people facing and what do they need to do to avoid it? Well, I mean, there's obviously significant problems, and we have, you know, people who are losing family homes that they had had in their family for 75 years, um, significant um, economic damage from which it's going to take people a long time to recover. But what people need to do is go ahead and try and get a hold of their um, lender and or servicer um, to see if they can do a workout. I mean, you know, they can give it a shot, but don't be optimistic because um, their responsiveness has not been good at all. But what I would actively actively um, encourage people to do is get with a HUD certified housing counselor. Do not respond to ads on the internet. Do not respond to mail solicitations. Um, do not, you know, even be wary of um, personal referrals to people because I have too many clients who've ended up losing their homes because they got referred to somebody by a family friend or neighbor. Go to a HUD certified housing counselor or go to a lawyer. Most um, communities, even if you can't afford a lawyer, have legal clinics run where attorneys volunteer their time. I volunteer my time uh, a couple times a month at our local debt clinic run through our bar association. So I would say contact your local bar association and see if um, you can get assistance. And even if you can get a half an hour of time with an attorney, they may be able to help you. If you need to commence litigation and you meet criteria, you may be able to get um, pro bono representation in a lawsuit. I do pro bono cases all the time. There are also legal aid groups. Um, in your community that are doing these cases. I work with legal aid lawyers all the time that are actively litigating these cases. But get help. Do not try and go through this process yourself. Go from people and get it from people who are not going to be taking anything from you. Um, One of the biggest things we've seen with these foreclosure rescue scams is not just the scams that end up taking people's property, but the scams where they convince people to pay four or $5,000 for their services because they purport that they're going to negotiate with the lender for the homeowner, something the homeowner can do themselves, and then they take that money and run, and the homeowner then is out an amount of money that could be their first and last month's rent on the new place that they're going to have to move to after a foreclosure. Richard, I wanted to ask you, one of the, one of the criticisms I've heard uh, of, of real estate agents in particular is that it's – you know they're involved at, at, at the front end, and, and when their job is done, they walk away. Uh, and often their their concern is, is is getting the deal closed, no matter how that happens. And, and I, I don't mean to paint with a broad brush, but I mean, how you know what's the responsibility of of the real estate professional in in preventing uh, you know preventing mortgage fraud and uh, and preventing these kinds of situations from coming about. Well, if all of us participated in this actively and all of us stopped one bad deal, one real estate, one bad deal, because you've got about two million of the agents out there, you'd be surprised how much this would dial down. A lot of buyers, they watch late-night TV hype. You've seen them. I got $35,000 check back at closing sort of thing. 
Many of those transactions are illegal as they're represented on late night TV hype. The buyer then runs to their real estate agent and they say, I want the cash back or car deal. Can you do it? The agent not being trained says, sure, let me write it up. But the agent gets a commission off this. Then the agent takes it over to the broker. The broker says, I can get the appraiser to go along with that. And they pressure the appraiser to come in at the value, threaten them. I've been threatened, um, offered bribes of $1,000 to come in at the right price. Then you have the banks that are out there that should have been reviewing these loan files, should have been paying attention, and they simply were not. You know, welcome to, you know, Bear Stearns and New Century and the like. So what we have is all of us as people involved in the real estate system should have paid more attention. We are required. And frankly, I'm telling you it's negligence on the part of many of these people for doing it. So the agent saying it's out of my hands, it's not. Yeah, sister, but you wrote up the deal, but don't you dare stand away now and say it's not your responsibility because you were there front row center and you got a 7% commission on the deal. Well, aren't the people that are borrowing the money to blame themselves for this? I mean, you know, you read the documents, understand what you're getting into, or don't read the documents and don't understand what you're getting into. I mean, what level of responsibility do the people that get these kind of loans have to take? I'm all for personal responsibility. Um I believe in that. But the fact of the matter is, is when people are getting loans, they're presented with 50 to 60 pages of documents, and they're allocated about 20 minutes to have the signing done in an escrow agent's office. And that assumes they're even in an escrow agent's office, because most of the time what I see is that they just send a notary to the person's home. Of course, the notary's job is only there to witness signatures. They cannot answer any questions about the documents. So even if homeowners knew enough or noticed something enough to ask a question, there is nobody present there to answer the question. Um, I asked a group of lawyers and bankruptcy uh, lawyers and judges a couple of years ago when I was speaking to just raise their hands if they had actually read their loan documents and signing. And only about 15% of those, which are bankruptcy lawyers and judges, admitted to reading their loan documents and signing. The fact of the matter is, is it's an overwhelming amount of information and people trust the people that they're dealing with to do it honestly and truthfully. And unfortunately, they're not able to do so. So do I say homeowners should read their documents? Yes, I read mine. But the fact of the matter is, is most people don't, and it doesn't make them crooks or irresponsible um, when the system has been set up to play upon that premise because the lenders and the servicers know full well that people don't read them, and even if they did, they wouldn't understand because they're written by lawyers in legal jargon, um, and they count on it. And then they set up a system to mitigate their own responsibility and liability and then turn around and point the finger back at the borrower, and I find that to be reprehensible. Oh, absolutely. And on top of that, you start to run into issues where these borrowers, even if they did represent, even if they do read their documents and they question, I get this response back from mortgage brokers, loan originators, going, oh, oh, don't worry about it. Let me explain it to you. And they verbally explain it, give uh, some sort of an explanation to these people, and it's not what the document says. So these people do reach out but they reach out to a 20-year-old who just became a loan originator last week. What do they know about it? And so these consumers quite often do get that information. Now, there's still scammers out there, but we're seeing both sides of this. Well, we've reached the program, the end of the program where it's time to wrap up and uh, get your final thoughts as well as your contact information for our listeners. So, Richard, let's start with you. Well, if you need to reach me or find out about the economy, because I had to do a, a little webinar for the banks uh, back in November, you can go to my website, richardhagar.com, and there's a click link over there called webinars, and you can see about what I, I talk about the economy. 
And I think that everybody needs to get a little bit more information and come up to speed on this because all of us help create it, and it's only if all of us participate can we help dial this problem down. And Melissa? Uh, I'm located in Seattle. My website is predatorylendinglaw.com. All my content information is on there. It's, um, it's really kind of a bare-bones website because um, I, frankly, am so overwhelmed with cases that I don't advertise. <laughs> um, so, But I'm happy to... You know, I put articles and stuff of interest on my website, and I would uh, encourage other lawyers to get in touch with organizations like the National Association of Consumer Advocates, which is at the forefront of um, these concerns, these areas of law, as well as the National Consumer Law Center, the Center for Responsible Lending. They all have great information on their websites. Well, thank you very much. We certainly appreciate your participation you. in the program today. and. That just wraps it up for Lawyer to Lawyer. lawyer. Remember, you can check out all of our Lawyer to Lawyer shows at TheLegalTalkNetwork.com. Bob? Let me add uh, my thanks to our guests for this very informative show today. Uh, And uh, to our listeners, remember, you can always find uh, all of our Legal Talk Network shows on iTunes in the podcast library. Well, our producers are telling me that I need to let everybody know that I'll be in Prague next week. So hopefully be joining you from there to discuss another great legal topic. <laughs> Perhaps that's check for goodbye, Craig. I don't know. But uh, otherwise, I'll talk to you next week. And thanks again to our guests. Thanks for listening to Lawyer to Lawyer with J. Craig Williams and Robert Ambrogi. We hope you'll listen again and check out our other shows on the Legal Talk Network. Lawyer to Lawyer has been sponsored by Law.com. The Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast, your resource for the tips and tactical advice you need to grow your business. Plus, keep up with the news and commentary you crave to stay one step ahead. It's hosted by me, Guy Sakalakis. And me, Conrad Song. Every other week, we break down the issues holding back your marketing strategy and talk about the changes you need to be prepared for. Check out the Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast wherever you get your podcasts or on YouTube.